If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! medicine has always been about mission for me. And the reason that I became a doctor is truly that I wanted to be able to use my knowledge to help people who are most in need. Dr. Lana Gordon starts us off for this episode of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. We'll also hear today from Dr. Jay Deshpande. He's a champion of just culture here at Nemours. And Jeff Harris, an HVAC manager in Wilmington. But back to Dr. Gordon. She is the Associate Chief of Adolescent Medicine, a program she is helping to build at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando. She is another in a long line of MDs we've talked to who knew they wanted to be doctors from a young age, but perhaps none younger than Dr. Gordon, at least according to family lore. Allegedly, according to urban legend from my parents, I've known I wanted to be a doctor since I was 20 months. Apparently, my mom um, has a master's in computer programming or computer science, which I guess was pretty unusual at the time when she was getting it early 80s. And she was going to the lab because you'd have to like do all your coding in like a lab with punch cards and all of those things. And she needed to keep, you know, her small child entertained. So I had a little kit of doctor tools and somebody was like, oh, the future nurse. And my mom said that I looked at him and said, nope, not a nurse, medical doctor. Um, And she said that that was the first time that they had any idea that I was interested in being a doctor or knew what a doctor was. And a doctor she trained to become. And it was during that training as a medical school student assigned to another Florida hospital that Dr. Gordon encountered a teenaged patient who ultimately crystallized her commitment to practicing adolescent medicine and who also drove home the point that for adolescents, trust is a precious commodity. We had a patient who was transferred from an outlying um, institution with a diagnosis of diverticulosis, which is not a pediatric diagnosis. And so we knew it was going to be something different. And what it ended up being was pelvic inflammatory disease, which is a pretty common pedi- um, adolescent medicine diagnosis. Um, but it was the first time that I'd seen it, heard of it, or you know, really knew much about it. Part of you know being able to get a good adolescent history is the confidential piece that we do called the HEADS exam. That HEADS exam is to get a snapshot of what that teen's world is like. So what their home life is like, what their educational life is like, the things they like to do, and then what their relationships are like, and then any kind of risk that may be associated with any of those things. It's a huge part of what we do. It's a huge part of how we gain our information. It's the diagnostic tool of adolescent medicine. And so I did my heads and, you know, I assured her that everything was going to be confidential and that allowed us to get the information that made us able to solidify the diagnosis and get her kind of the kind of care she needed. Unfortunately, when we put the information in the chart, the nurse who was taking care of her, though being very well-meaning, shared some confidential information with her father, who then became very upset. So the next morning, I was met by a very angry teenager who said, you lied to me. And I said, what do you mean? Why do, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what happened. Medical students usually aren't at sign out. And she said, she said, you said that everything you said to me, the two of us would be between the two of us. And it ended up actually being spread all over the hospital. And now my dad knows. And she was very upset. And I felt terrible. We were able to kind of, you know, smooth things over. I was able to regain rapport with her. 
From that experience, I realized that that was what I really wanted to do. It was interesting to me, that dynamic of the parent, the healthcare team, and this new emerging adult. As any parent who has raised adolescents knows, they can be a tough crowd. But for Dr. Gordon, working with the 10 to 25-year-old age group is exactly where she wants to be. It was the continuity of care that you get of being a good outpatient pediatrician and watching a child grow up, which I love. That's why I love pediatrics. It's a lot of anticipatory guidance where you get to explain to a young person how to learn how to take care of themselves, develop good health habits, hopefully I also get to, you know, teach parents a lot about this difficult time period and why teens do the crazy things that they do. It's not that I find the things that teens do any less crazy than any other adult, but I think I have a better understanding of the why of it. It's a good fit for me. We tend to see teens who maybe are having the most struggle with adolescence. So, you know, it can be a wide gamut of things. So it could be just dealing with a chronic illness or chronic pain and how that affects kind of going through this transitional page where being a teenager is all about identity formation. And so if you're trying to find your identity, how do you establish your own identity separate from the other labels that people have placed on you? And for teens with chronic illness, their illness may be um, a big label that's um, impacting their life. So I see a lot of teens for that reason. I see teens if they're having trouble with difficult transitions. Maybe a parent got divorced recently or um, just figuring out that your peer group maybe isn't who you thought it was, interested in a sport and maybe not as interested in it anymore, or the realization that a sport that's been an important part of your life, you're maybe not a top tier person in that sport, so it's probably going to be leaving you. A lot of stuff around reproductive health, gynecology type things, so periods that are not behaving correctly for young women, um, sex education around um, pregnancy prevention, STD prevention for both young men and young women eating disorders. Um, Sometimes those manifest themselves during the adolescent years. And so we do a lot of care around eating disorders. Substance use. I mean, I always say adolescence is all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So anything you can think of that comes off of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that's what we do. And far from doing it alone, Dr. Gordon relies on her immediate team. She calls them amazing. Michelle Knapp is her nurse, and Liz Perez is her medical assistant. Together, they have been educating others on what adolescent health is, why it's important, and how the work they do interrelates with that of every other associate. The work of adolescent medicine is not just what happens when they're in the adolescent medicine clinic. It's actually what happens throughout the entire hospital. So I started off talking about the patient whose autonomy as an adolescent was unfortunately disrespected in the experience, and it wasn't intentional. I know it wasn't. One of the things that I think is important is that there are times where I'm sure that All of us are disrespecting the autonomy of teens in various places that they go. So adolescent medicine isn't something that just happens in the adolescent medicine clinic. It's supposed to be the experience of every single adolescent every single time they come through Nemours' doors. I share a lot of patients with the gastroenterology division, with um, the psychology and behavioral health team, Um, a lot of patients who um, have POTS, so Dr. Kakavan's team, um, they're in cardiology, the OR staff, because we're placing um, intrauterine devices with anesthesia, they've been really lovely and accommodating because adolescent medicine physicians are very starchly outpatient type of docs, which means the OR is about as far away from our domain as we as we want to be. It's like an alternate universe. So they've been really welcoming and inviting someone who is not in their universe. <laughs> the social workers are immensely helpful. I mean, there's no time that I can't vault them or text them and somebody doesn't answer and say, oh, maybe, you know, have you thought about this? Is this another resource that you could use? And so, you know, just, you know, that that interdisciplinary feel, that work um, with each of those groups is super important and it really enhances the experience that teens have. I think a lot of times teens have concerns and they frequently want help. They want adult guidance. They just don't know where to go to get it. 
And so I think having a, a nice safety net of, of caring adults that are connected is super important for every teen to have. Dr. Lana Gordon is the Associate Chief of Adolescent Medicine at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando. Anesthesiologist Dr. Jay Deshpande serves as the chief for quality and safety for the Nemours, Florida operation. We first heard from him in episode 17 of the podcast when he relayed the story of how he led a Nemours team of over 100 associates helping a family fulfill their deepest desire to live together under the same roof with their little girl as she faced multiple health issues that had kept her hospitalized for most of her life. It was, he said then, simply the right thing. Doing what's right, what's just, and what's fair plays a huge role in just culture here at Nemours, of which Dr. Deshpande is a champion. Just culture is a way of thinking about accountability, both personal and institutional accountability, for doing the right thing. In order to do the right thing for every child every time, we have to have practices and processes that are reliable. You don't want to do really well today and not so good tomorrow. We want to do really well each time. So that's high reliability. Within high reliability, it's important for us as an institution to create an environment where we have the right people with the right training and the right resources to do the right work. That means that all of our associates know what we expect of them in the jobs that they're doing, they have the right resources to do their jobs, and that they have the right number of people to help them do their jobs. At the same time, this is a system of humans taking care of humans. We're all people. And people make mistakes. So just culture is a way of looking at personal accountability within the workplace. Sometimes people make mistakes. It's been said people make 50 to 100 mistakes a day. So the system of healthcare should be focused on reducing my ability to do the wrong thing in the job that I'm doing. So if I make a human error, then I should be counseled and consult. I feel bad when I make an error. At the same time, I might have what's called at-risk behavior. And that means that I'm cutting corners. I'm going, taking shortcuts instead of doing the right process. And if nothing happens to a patient and I sort of get into a habit of cutting corners, at some point, something bad might happen to a patient. That's called at-risk behavior. And if I'm engaged in at-risk behavior, then it's important for my colleagues, my fellow associates, or my boss to counsel me and coach me to come back to doing the right thing. With that, we increase the safe practices in the hospital and in medicine. In some cases, I might just have reckless behavior, meaning I know what the right thing to do is, I have the right number of people, but I've just for whatever reason done something that's clearly unsafe. I know it, others know it around me, and I do it anyway. It might be because I'm in a hurry, 
whatever else is happening. That's called reckless behavior. In driving, that's speeding at 100 miles an hour down a crowded interstate, and then when you have a crash. Even if you don't have the crash, it's still the wrong thing to do. So just culture is really framing the individual accountability to say, when there's human error, we as colleagues in the institution should console the individual and counsel to do the right thing, not punish. If somebody's taking risks and doing at-risk behavior and taking shortcuts or has a drift to do these uh, workarounds, then we should coach that person to do the right thing. But if somebody's doing reckless behavior, then that's corrective action. That person's personal accountability is to do the right thing. And if that person's engaged in reckless behavior, then corrective action that in the human resources world, that means performance improvement and progressive discipline because that person has gone too far in that regard, regardless of outcome. We don't, the no harm, no foul is not a good healthcare practice. How is that different than the culture right now? Because it sounds like it's a shift in culture, which of course takes many, many years. How is it different than what people are experiencing or or seeing as cultural um, right now here at Nemours? This is not unique to Nemours how people are seeing it. In the workplace in many American institutions, including healthcare institutions, employees are worried that if they speak up for safety, if they make a mistake, if they drift or have these shortcuts because that's just the bad habit they've gotten into, then they'll be punished. And we jumped to punishing people instead of getting them back to doing the right thing. And you see that in the social uh, situations in newspapers where if a mistake happens or some bad event happens, somebody must be punished. Where just culture doesn't jump to find punishing first, but to see if it's a human error, bring that person back to doing the right thing. See if it's at risk behavior to help that person do the right thing. And only if it's reckless behavior to then do corrective action which is the progressive discipline punishment going on to, if need be, to then separation from the institution. What changes can associates expect under just culture? Done right, the changes really should be a conversation takes place between the supervisor and the employee about what the expectations of the job are, what the skills needed to do the job are. If the employee needs more refreshing or competency checks, then that's available. That the right equipment is available, and that's the responsibility of the manager and the employee to, to have that conversation and the right number of team members. Provided that, the employee has a responsibility to do the right thing, including not harming patients in the process of taking care. And the expectation should be that they have a psychological safety to speak up when there's an unsafe practice or a potential unsafe practice. 
They should feel comfortable speaking up if they've made a human error so that they can help us improve the care of children. And they should feel comfortable that if they have done something that's an at-risk behavior, that they'll be coached to do the right thing, not be punished, but coached to do the right thing. Dr. Jay Deshpande is the chief for quality and safety for the Nemours Florida operation based in Orlando. Finally, today we meet Jeff Harris, facilities maintenance supervisor based at the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington. He heads up the HVAC team, responsible for heating, cooling, ventilation, and refrigeration equipment at every Nemours building in the Delaware Valley. This ranges from newer sites like Deptford, New Jersey and Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, to the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children itself, portions of which date back to the mid-20th century. Each presents its own challenges for Jeff and his team, but it's the love of the challenge, care for the kids, and the feeling of being part of the overall Nemours team atmosphere, working in unison to keep kids healthy, that has kept Jeff coming back day after day, sometimes night after night, for over 15 years. I love working on the equipment. I love taking care of the patients and families and and doing everything we can for them. How about your team? Who's on your team? Who do you work with? I have um, I have a guy named Steve Wilson who's working on his 43rd year here. When he started, it was only this building that we were sitting in right now. So he's seen some expansion, hasn't he? He watched that building go up, and he watched the, the, the pavilion go up. Has he been something of a mentor to you? Yes, he has. Uh, just, you know, his knowledge of this building alone um, and... Uh, just how to, you know, carry yourself on a daily basis and, you know, do the right thing always and, you know, just, you know, keep the main focus on our patients and families and, and doing the right thing for them and you'll be successful. You come to work and you, and you just keep the focus that way and you'll have a nice successful career. Do you ever feel stressed out by your job? Absolutely. Absolutely. From time to time. So, yeah. What stresses you out? Oh, Major equipment failures, OR issues where we're trying to do cases, the amount of work that just needs to be done out here. This place is 24-7, so uh, you really need to be prepared to answer the phone at night to take care of issues. Uh, My normal shift is 7 to 3.30, but the hospital doesn't stop at 3.30. Constantly have things going on, so things happen. And, you know, just the the urgency to get our critical stuff back up and running or, or keep our critical stuff you know, running the best that we can to make sure we don't have any major failures or anything like that. And you're dedicated to that. Absolutely. Why? It's a reflection of myself. I oversee all of that equipment. And, uh, you know, if we constantly have failures, things breaking down, things not being maintained correctly, then it looks bad on me. And, you know, I don't want that to happen. And not only does it look bad on me, but it impacts our, our patients and their families. You've mentioned patients and families now, I think, three times. They're important to you, aren't they? That's everything to us. Um, And I was telling my guys, um, Bryn Mawr Surgery Center, right? It's up in Bryn Mawr, PA, right? We always have issues. And people don't understand that um, we have cases scheduled every day. People know that they're coming in at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. A lot of times these cases require our patients to drink some kind of fluid the day before, or the parents are scheduling days off, whatever they have to do, it totally work around their schedule to bring their child here to get surgery. There was a failure in the middle of the night, and I went up there, you know what I mean? I kind of I made a few phone calls, and we took care of the issue. 
and we got it up and running, and we didn't lose any cases. But I was explaining to my team that I went up there and did that, you know what I mean? Because the the families that are going to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning, I know if I, if I had to take my son somewhere and I had to take off work, it would be hard to go there and then have the surgery center say, hey, we can't do it because, you know, this piece of equipment's failed or whatever. So it's nothing for us to go up there in the middle of the night and work through the night if they can do their cases in the morning. That's the absolute worst thing is – you know, for our families to show up and uh, have to tell them that we can't do what they needed to do because we had some kind of mechanical failure through the night. Um, it's not a matter of, hey, uh, when I get in in the morning, you know, we'll go up there and take care of it. You know, myself and my team members know that I want it taken care of through the night. If it happens at 10 o'clock at night, we should be able to be there by 11.30 or 12 and work until we get the issue fixed. That way, that when people show up to do the case, they can do it. As a father of three, one of whom has spent time at the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children, Jeff brings his dad point of view to the job these days and makes it a point to connect with kids and families he sees during the course of his workday. Uh, I try to interact with as many patients and families on a daily basis as possible. We hand out these meal, pa- meal passes, right? this little card to get, um, it has some money on it to get like a free meal or whatever. And we get them every month, and I like to go down and find families, you know what I mean, and hand it to them. Uh, every month and just every day being in the patient's rooms, taking care of whatever they need, which I do the best we can for them every day. How many people on your team? Five. Who are they? Let's give them a shout out. Um, Andrew, Bill, Bua, Steve, myself. We all work together. Um, we all specialize in different things. We help each other. We're a good team. When you leave here at the end of the day, I know it's you've got that 24-7 thing going, but when you leave here, how do you feel? feel good. I feel like we did everything we could for the facility in the time that we were here and feel good about that. As far as the, our, my HVAC team, uh, they're just tremendous. They've always been uh, accepting to change and adapting to all the new situations around the Moors. The Moors is constantly changing, developing, expanding. They're, all of their roles have expanded. Um, they've done a great job of adapting to all the new things that we have to do. And uh, just want to thank them for that. Jeff Harris is facilities maintenance supervisor overseeing HVAC, based at the AI DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington. Thanks for joining us again for this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. If you have a great story that needs to be shared across the Nemours enterprise, and I'm guessing there are a lot of them these days, we'd love to hear from you. You might just be part of an upcoming episode. Send your ideas along via email at podcast at nemours.org. That's podcast at nemours.org. Don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and family via social media and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Production assistance provided by Peter Adebi, Deborah Griffin, J.L. Puckett, and Jackie Williams. Music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. And our words of wisdom today come from Jeff Harris. Just to continue to do everything um, for the patients and the families. Keep them as your main goal and strive to do everything that you can for them and you'll, you'll have a successful career. At Nemours. Till next time, I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks so much for joining us for the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Be well and thank you for everything you do. Mm-hmm.